Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. How this most current iteration of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict progresses and indeed ends um, remains to be seen. But there's one thing that we do know. Hundreds and thousands of people will die. We, we, we know that. They already have. Uh, it was about 1,500 back on October 7th when Hamas went into Israel. And uh, the latest numbers out of Gaza are more than 7,000 Palestinians have been killed in the corresponding aerial assaults. So we, we know that. We know that the tragedy will only get bigger. Um, in the end, though, and this is the promise of the Israeli Defense Forces, things will be fundamentally different. But will they? Or is this, like so many other deadly outbreaks of fighting in that part of the world, just another chapter in a long and very, very sad story? We're going to chat now with Dr. Rob Geist-Pinfold, who is a lecturer in peace and security at Durham University. Uh, doctor, thanks for being here. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Um, before we get to how this may look in the future, let's look at the past briefly, because there's been a lot of speculation about how Israel missed the warning signs of this attack. And, and you argue that for some time, they'd kind of made a decision to not necessarily support Hamas in Gaza, but certainly not work to get them out because there was some benefit to it. So tell us about the relationship and how you think that played into how we got here. Yeah, um, I think the reason why Israel tacitly supported the Hamas regime in Gaza was primarily because Israel itself does not want to control Gaza. Israeli policy, if you look through history, they really don't know what to do with the Gaza Strip. They still don't know today, which is why you see so much bickering uh, at the political military level in Israel over exactly whether there should be a grand invasion, what a grand invasion would look yeah. like, and what a sort of post-Hamas scenario would look like as well. So Israel kept... Um, you know, tacitly supported Hamas and kept them in power almost, uh, basically because they needed someone else to rule over the Gaza Strip and control the Gaza Strip, and they didn't see any alternative to that status quo of having Hamas, Hamas in power. Now, of course, all that changed. Rhetoric, very, very steadfast, really clear. Netanyahu has said it many times, Hamas must be destroyed. And that's what they started doing almost three weeks ago now. So they're no longer interested in having Hamas involved at all, right? At, at least publicly, they're telling us Hamas needs to go at this point. That's right. There was all sorts of discussion about whether Hamas had really moderated itself. A lot of Israeli security assessments said, look, Hamas isn't interested in an escalation. We've got them contained. Yes, we need to control in Gaza, but we've got them contained so they're not powerful enough to actually threaten Israel. So it's fine for us to have them in power. The attacks of the October, October 7th were so deadly, so ferocious, uh, shocked Israelis to the core, to the extent where basically the status quo is no longer considered either legitimate or indeed possible. But obviously there's a difference between rhetoric and actions here. Yeah. Israel has to decide how exactly it's going to get rid of Hamas from Gaza. How is it going to remove them as a government? And indeed, who is going to replace them? Those are open questions which Israel itself hasn't answered. And those are and the lack of an answer to those questions is what's particularly worrying the Biden administration and causing to lean on Israel to delay the grand invasion. 
There was, uh, I can't remember who we were speaking to last week about this situation as to what comes next. And there's a great story about George Bush meeting with his team about the invasion of Afghanistan. And he asked uh, those that were gathered around the table, okay, what happens when we're done? Who runs Afghanistan? And nobody had an answer. And and we know what happened. So uh, the United States knows you need to have an answer to that question before this even starts, right? That's part of the conversation they're having with Israel is, okay, what does this look like when you're done? Right. The U.S. has learned from its bad experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan. They now understand that you can't just go into a country, uh, remove uh, a regime, and then just hope for the best and leave whenever you want. Often you end up, you know, without a plan, you end up sinking into a prolonged occupation, into a counterinsurgency campaign with no real end in sight and no clear picture of how you're going to achieve your goals. And this is what the Biden administration keeps um, pressuring the Israelis over to come up with a plan for what happens next. And bizarrely, some Israeli officials have even boasted about not having a plan. Uh, and, and Israel itself has been involved in very many prolonged occupations with no end in sight, and has then ended those occupations, including, by the way, in the Gaza Strip before 2005. So it really is um, incredible that Israel doesn't have a plan for the day after. You don't need to look as far away to Iraq and Afghanistan. Right. Israel can look at its own experiences going back decades in, in fact so um what does that mean where are we now does israel understand that do they accept the united states position on that or are are they proceeding of their own free will i mean how do you think this ultimately plays out from here then Look, the United States has a seat at the table where these decisions are made within Israel. They might be a foreign power, uh, but, you know, we had Blinken, Secretary of State Blinken, come to Israel and sit with Israel's national security advisors for seven hours. This is the Secretary of State of the United States sitting with uh, basically a war cabinet. Both sides took seven hours out of their schedule to have this discussion. So it shows you how much influence the U.S. has over these decisions. There has been a committee formed um, by one of the coalition partners in Israel to try and come up with answers to these questions. But we know from experience that government committees move very, very slowly. Uh, and there's some open question to the extent where Netanyahu has brought into this committee as well. There's a lot of... Um, uh, you know, thinly veiled power struggles between um, Israel's political elite and its military elite. And that's because no one has a clear answer to this question. There, there was a consensus previously that keeping Hamas in power was the least bad option. After the October 7th attacks, that consensus has unraveled, but no new one has currently replaced it. Exactly. Yeah. So that's one of the issues. And I wonder, um, last one, I'll let you go. Uh, what about the fact that we're now, we've surpassed 7,000 deaths in Palestine, 2,900, or in Gaza, rather, 2,900 Palestinians believed to be children um, ha- have died as a result of the Israeli air raid. And we're also hearing the United States talking about that, too, uh, talking about the humanitarian side of this. So um, how does that work? The, the pressure that seems to be coming to bear on Israel, uh, they, they must be feeling it, of course. Yeah, and this is one of the dilemmas that faces Israel. Often, whenever there are one of these rounds of fighting, Israel at the start feels that it has a degree of international support. People recognize its right to defend itself, for example, in the face of provocations. And, uh, you know, no, there's no, there's been no provocation like that October 7th attack with, as you mentioned, over 1,400 Israelis killed. This is something that's never happened in Israel's history before. But as the campaign drags on, as Palestinian casualties start, uh, uh, increasing significantly to levels that we haven't seen in any other recent campaign. Uh, you mentioned those figures there. There is increased international pressure against Israel to 
either agree to a ceasefire or to at least make clear its aims and its end game here. So as time ticks on and those casualties end up, Israel will find itself more and more constrained. Uh, it's already delayed a grand invasion way longer than the military in Israel would have liked. So the longer it leaves it, the less uh, freedom of maneuver it actually has for that grand invasion and the harder it will be to uh, remove Hamas from power, which is the declared goal of this operation. All right. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for being here today. I really do appreciate your analysis.